0: inescapably inescapably inescapably, inescapably foreign welcome to without borders the podcast for nomads expats immigrants refugees third culture children or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign if this is your first time tuning into the show remember you can find uh, transcriptions and language notes at withoutborders.fyi There you can also find a bunch of essays and stories today. Oh, wait, I got to mention my name. (laughs) I'm (laughs) Nolan Yuma. uh, And today I'm here with Keaton Jackson. Uh, Keaton Jackson has lived in Australia. He's lived in France and he's pulled this all off working as a landscaper, but he's currently getting his piloting license uh keaton jackson is a son to my parents and a brother to me so i'm pumped to have him on the show keaton how are you doing today man
1: oh i'm doing well nolan uh thanks for having me um yeah i'm just super excited to be one of your first few guests on your podcast without borders uh been following you for a long time obviously i know uh the ins and outs of um your writing uh all your stories. The dirty deeds, exactly. So, no, I'm looking forward to uh, spending the next little bit uh, chatting about whatever we come up with.
0: Nice, man. So, why aren't you at work today? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, kind of a funny and stupid story. This little thing happened at the gym. Actually, not even at the gym, but I assume that it was because I went to the gym yesterday. Um. Yeah, I was just at the gym. And when I was getting home, I have a sensitive neck. So every now and then, I'd say probably every month almost, it seems like I have a pinched nerve in my neck that just uh, completely immobilizes me pretty much. So yeah, me being a landscaper kind of gives me the excuse not to go out in this uh, Vancouver weather, currently three degrees here. So, you know, (laughs) that's why.
0: And and you're still getting paid, right? Because you're a union guy.
1: Uh, I don't want to share too many details, but you will I don't have uh, too much trouble staying home when I want to.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, l- let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because um, you're a union worker in BC, so you've got it pretty good. But do you think you have it as good as government employees in France? Um,
1: I... Honestly, so I never looked at working for the government while I was living in France. Um, But from everything I've heard from my in-laws who are French, uh, from a lot of our French friends that my wife and I share, um, I actually probably have it better. (laughs) The government workers in Canada or even in North America, I might say, not that I know too much about the United States system, but I know that we do have it really well compared to France. For government workers.
0: Are you just talking about the pay or holidays and Social Security as well?
1: Um, well, definitely the pay. By far, uh, the pay is you can't even compare the pay. We have a really good compared to them. But also for government workers, holiday, I mean, starting out, yeah, you won't get as many holidays, obviously, as um, a European worker. But then I guess once you get seniority, um it's just uh it it can it compares directly uh like five weeks in europe five uh I think maximum here at maximum with seniority time off is six weeks paid vacation for uh for my job once you get seniority so
0: yeah I am out of the government employee loop so <laughs> i didn't I didn't know you can get six weeks in in Canada yeah
1: that's like that's with seniority. So, I mean, you got to serve your time first, but, um, I get the minimum is three weeks. The minimum is three weeks paid vacation plus your sick Mm -hmm. days, plus your family days, plus uh, all these other loopholes that you can jump through to get, um, a variety of ways to get paid days off. Okay.
0: Well, since you weren't a government employee in France, I think it's a little bit hard to compare the two jobs, but you've worked for private companies in BC, in Vancouver, and you've worked for a private company in Paris. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, the differences in experiences?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't go, I don't want to criticize too, too much the the landscaping industry in france just because i only worked for two companies uh one was a decent experience like company wise the workers the 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 employees um the co-workers everyone was super friendly and it was it was a good workspace it just wasn't right for me in the sense um and really when i'm when i say it wasn't right for me it was just the pay is just it wasn't good. Like, it wasn't good compared to uh, what I was used to earning back home uh, here in Vancouver, in uh, BC, Canada. Um, so, it was really hard for me to get past the point where I was not getting paid what I was used to. And I felt like, and like, I, don't get me wrong, I love landscaping. One of the best things about it is that I get to spend my days outside. And in the summertime, I think that like, there's honestly, There are better jobs, but for me, it was, it was, it made it like, that's what made it. I was outside eight hours a day. I was using my hands, using my brain, being creative. And on top of that in Vancouver, at least I was getting paid pretty well. So I was like, well, that's like, that's awesome. But then when I moved to France and when I tried landscaping in France, the work was hard or the work was the same and I was enjoying the work. The hours were longer. And then the pay was worse. So to me, I was like, well, I don't enjoy the work enough to be like getting paid. Not as well, like if I, at the end of the day, I was felt like I was, I was working essentially for less than min- minimum wage Is What it felt like, even though it was all legal, because in France, they had this system where you didn't get paid for your travel time um and then so yeah in landscaping obviously there's a lot of time where you're spent in the truck uh, going from site to site if you're not at a site all day so it ended up being like i would sp- have to be at work at seven o'clock in the morning and yeah. then which is fine that's normal for landscaping but i wouldn't get i wouldn't get to leave and be in my car on my way home until 5 30 or even six o'clock so that's is that like, also
0: because you get the what is it, a two hour lunch break or something?
1: No, not in not in um not where I was working. Oh so shit. so yeah, so yeah, we'd get an hour lunch break, but still say say I started I have to be at work at seven, I have to be at my job place at seven o'clock. And I don't get to get in my car until we'll say five thirty to six o'clock. That's eleven, that's ten and a half, eleven hours minus one hour for lunch, because that's normal. That's still nine and a half uh, hours or 10 hours, right? That's a long day. And then your pay is only getting paid. And and I don't know the exact exactly how it worked, But I, at the end of the day, I was only getting paid for um, an eight hour day. But I was still there for 10 and a half, 11 hours. You know, what, you, know you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And the pay wasn't that great to begin with, even based on an on an eight-hour day. So anyways, that was a bit of a rant. Um,
0: <laughs> but... No, all good, because I feel like so many people have this idea that in a lot of European countries, especially a country like France, that they have certain like socialist-type safety nets, right? And that if you're working a minimum wage job, you can still have a pretty good life. But it seems from your experience that... With a job like landscaping, which is usually a little bit lower paid than some, right? Uh, You had a much better life in Vancouver, which is an incredibly expensive city.
1: Well, here's the thing, though, is that if I actually tell you my salary, I actually, what in France's perspective, I actually was making okay money. Like I wasn't making like shit money. In, in terms of France. It's just that in Vancouver and in North America, we value trade jobs at a much higher rate than I think, I don't want to say Europe, but I think, it is, I, think I can generalize and say Europe or at least for sure in France because yeah. in, and we'll just, I'll just say like if you're in Canada if you're an electrician, if you're a plumber, if you're a landscaper, anything that is a Red Seal certified trade, uh, you actually you're not going to be you're not going to be raking in the money, but you can actually live a pretty comfortable lifestyle in, in North America by being having a trade. Um, yeah, we value our our skilled laborers. That's what we call them.
0: Do you have any yeah. idea why that is?
1: I can't say for certain. But again, just drawing from my, my personal experience, um, So yeah, as I said in, in France when I was landscaping, in France's eyes, when I said, oh yeah, I was making uh, X amount of money to my father-in-law or even to my wife or even to my mother-in-law, and they say, oh that's good. like I'm like, really? because like this is even if I convert uh, euros to dollars like in Canada, I make more than double what I was making in France. Even okay. like if I just go straight uh X amount of euros convert into dollars, I make more than double what I make in France.
0: Yeah, but that's when you you're comparing your government job now, to but, a private job, right?
1: Then even when I was in private, uh, I wouldn't be more than double, but I was making certain I was certainly making more. Okay. Uh, and not Vancouver,
0: by much. But thank-
1: Here's here's the thing though, I was making, if it wasn't double, I was making a little bit more, but I had, I would be at work at seven, and I would leave work, and this is in private, and I would leave work after eight and a half hours, not 10 hours, not 10 and a half, not 11 hours, so my day is shorter. So therefore, I have more time to do what I want to do, more time outside of work, which I value super highly. I think that like when I see some people in France and they spend even in other job areas and they're spending like 12 hours of their day, whether that's commuting because Paris is obviously expensive. So commuting to work and anyways, not getting home after 12 hours or 13 hours, like that's insane to me. That's absolutely insane.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's get into some of these other ideas that people have about Europe uh, or in France, um, talking about transport. Do you think transportation is cheaper in, in Paris than in Vancouver?
1: Um, well, I can straight up a, a monthly pass in an, a monthly unlimited pass in Paris for the whole Parisian network was 75 euros and a monthly pass in Vancouver for the whole Metro Vancouver area is like i want to say 120 dollars per month
0: so but if you convert it it's not a big
1: difference it's not a huge difference but i find that in terms of your percentage of your salary um that is actually more expensive in paris because your net salary is less. So you're using a higher percentage of your salary to pay for your, actually that completely brings in, us into another subject. I'm eating my own words here, Nolan. I can't say, so, I, I have to take all that back. In France, <laughs> in France, it's super common for your employer to pay uh, 50%, if not 100% of your um, transit pass. Ah, okay. okay. So, yeah, I guess in that case. I mean, we this just leads us into another thing. So, I don't know if you have another like do you want me to keep going on this or cuz this is yeah, yeah. like So, that's the thing as a young adult, I'm 27 years old. Um so yeah, it's great for for the for everyone, for the greater community, for the greater public. It's great that France subsidizes a part of your of your transit pass, that's great. But what I was really focused on was that every month I got my pay and that amount that was going into my account was just, I couldn't get over the fact that it was significantly lower, that I was earning significantly a lower amount that I was in Canada, which meant that I wasn't able to choose How I wanted to spend my money, even though France subsid, like, like to me in Canada, I have the choice if I want to pay for my transit pass. But in France, the, the way it's set up is the government essentially chooses for you. They're like, okay. This is how it is. So we're going to let, we're just going to subsidize it across the board. Everyone's going to have access to a transit pass, whether you need it or not, pretty much. Yeah, I'd be pissed
0: because I bike everywhere.
1: And Mm -hmm. yeah, and we're going to take that from your, we're going to take that from your net pay. And so you just get, you just get used to it, right? But Mm -hmm. that's actually a good thing if you look at, like, that's actually a good thing for the whole country, right? Because you're helping out a lot of the lower class people, the people that really need it. But for someone like me, I've been fortunate enough to always have decent work, always make a decent living, I guess. And so I was never used to being like, oh, like, like you know, you know what I'm trying to
0: say? Yeah, I do. But, I mean, I come from a pretty privileged background, but right now I'm pretty broke as fuck. (laughs) And if if I lived in France and I knew that my money was going towards this bus pass that I wasn't using, I'd be pissed, right? Like I I wouldn't feel like, oh, this country's helping me out. I would feel like, okay, well, at least reimburse me or maybe give me some tax rebates because I'm biking everywhere and doing things like that, which is way better on the environment as well.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Obviously, I'm not an expert in the in the whole tax system of France, and I don't know where every single dollar and cent goes. Um, but we do know that French, I think, are the ho- like one of the highest taxed countries in the world, and that they love to complain about their taxes
0: and <laughs> <laughs> love to go on strike. <laughs> so, so
1: obviously, there are people in France as well that aren't content with their situation. yeah. Um, but from a North American perspective, we always kind of mock them and we say, well, why are the French always on strike? Like they have it so good over there, but do they, you know,
0: like. Well then uh, that's another question. Do you have any insight into the healthcare and the universities? Because we always have this idea like, oh, universities almost free in Europe. But once you're here, you realize that that's so, not really the case, right? Exactly.
1: University is not free in France. <laughs> if you want a good university that can get you a good job. Hmm. Yes, you can, get a, you, you can get a bachelor's degree in France without paying money. But I definitely know a lot of people that have paid more than a Canadian education for university in France to have a good school that's
0: recognized as like a, I guess... When we're comparing like the top 150 universities, right? Like when we're comparing UBC to one of the top universities in France, right? In that case, it might be more expensive. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I... I don't want to say too, too much. Cause again, I'm not, I don't know all the facts, but I do know it's not 100% free. I, I think there are yeah. more opportunities for students to get aid and not have to take out loans. Yeah. But I also know that like my wife paid for university. She
0: didn't. Oh, uh, that's another yeah. thing I, I want to get into is the culture of loans, right? Like, In North America, it's normal to get a loan for almost anything, for your car, obviously for a house. Um, But they also have this credit system, right? You need a certain credit score to be able to get a house. It's not just about your salary. In Europe, it's not like that. Uh, Why... Why do you think people are more reluctant to get loans here? Because I just don't hear about it as often. Also, when it comes to starting a business, right? Not just personal purchases, but I find that in North America, people are more likely to get a loan to start a business. Whereas in Europe, people are kind of reluctant to do that and kind of uh, yeah, more likely to look for a government job or to just kind of work their way up the ladder. Well, that's
1: kind of, you, you mentioned there about two different things, like two different topics. So the first topic is why are Europeans more reluctant to take out credit? And then the second topic that you mentioned there is the entrepreneurial spirit of Europeans versus North Americans. Um, so I'll get into, first off, I'll kind of just talk on the subject of Like my experience with my wife, obviously French, born and raised in Paris, uh, lived in Paris essentially her whole life, Um, but now we reside in Canada. And they are so disciplined when it comes to spending only what you can afford and not wanting to take out alone not borrow any money from the bank if you don't have to even if that is from even if that's for your house like when I I had a conversation one time with my in-laws and we were because we were talking about real estate and they were like they mentioned oh well if we have this much like why don't we just find something that's like that in that price range and just take out the take out no loan no mortgage or like a very minimal mortgage and I was like well you can do that of course but if you have x amount of money already why don't you take out maybe like another loan like a another mortgage to get even better even bigger even better (laughs) but that and i know that that's just so north american like like get bigger better more expensive that's just that's just north american perspective you know and but that's just cuz and i don't know why but we're just taught from a young age bigger is better more expensive is better so i don't know why exactly they're I don't know if it's better or not to, to not have a credit system or if it is do, more advantageous. Do you want to
0: get into the entrepreneurial spirit side of things? Cause I have another question that you mentioned to me a little while ago about the housing, but do, do you want to get into the entrepreneurial spirit first?
1: Um, yeah, it's just brief. It's like, I find, I guess this kind of goes back to the American dream, right? In North America, we're taught from a young age that you can be anything you want; just try hard, and you will succeed. Saying goes something like that. In France, I don't want to generalize too much. Again, I'm just talking from personal experiences, but yeah, yeah. Apparently, in schools in oh yeah, another thing in schools in Canada, they never actually get mad at you. Like they never actually put you down. If you do something wrong, if you fuck up, they don't actually like say that you did a terrible job. Where apparently, in my wife's school, or in my wife's education, uh, she would say that yeah, if you did something wrong, like the teacher let you know lets you know that you you did a bad job. Like it's not good. <laughs> with with more than a letter grade on your on your piece of paper, like. It's, like, you get actually kind of, I guess, I don't want to say shamed, but, yeah, you, you feel like, oh, yeah, that wasn't good.
0: It's true, man. And that kind of breaks that whole notion, you know, like, the European softy and the North American hard asses. But I find in Europe, like, kids get treated, um, well, just as you mentioned, like, it's way more straight up. Whereas in North America, it just gets softer and softer in the school system. Yeah. And-
1: Apparently, so when I was living in, in Paris, I would always kind of come home and tell my wife, oh, like how work was, of course. And, and sometimes I would receive compliments or, and I would kind of pass that on to my in-laws and whatever. And they said, oh, you received compliments? Like, <laughs> wow, you must be doing such an excellent job. And I was like, but isn't receiving compliments normal? And here, like, everyone's telling, even if they don't, here in Canada, even if someone doesn't like what you did, it's always like, oh, that's so nice, like, but in, I guess in Europe, like, dishing out compliments isn't as common, maybe, as it is here.
0: Yeah, because I remember in Canada, like, if I, if I failed a test, you would still get a compliment, it would be like, good effort, <laughs> good effort, and then, like, you fucked up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think
1: and like as you mentioned maybe in France uh people are just more content with just working for someone else their whole life and finding a job, working their way up and grinding whereas here, I mean of course there's entre- entrepreneurs in Europe. Like let's not let's not mix this up. Like of course there's yeah. people that are ambitious and, and want to do this. But I think here in Canada, every if you ask every single person, I think everyone just wants to, oh, I want to be my own boss one day. I just yeah. want to make my own company. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think anyone wants to, is just happy just, you know, grinding away here. Like, fuck yeah. Like, I want to be my own boss one day. I want to do what I want <laughs> on my schedule. And I do not want to work, like, 20 years in the same company. That is... Ugh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let's tie this back into the bigger and better. Right? In North America, everything's got to get bigger. If I can't afford it, I'm just going to get another loan and get something bigger. Which makes me think about something you mentioned, well, briefly, just in a text message. You said you wanted to talk about it. Um, this culture of wanting to have... Um, your own home, so not not even an apartment, right? Like a stand. What do you say is stand
1: a uh, a single standalone home, single dwell, single dwelling family home? Yeah. The see, white, I've lived in Europe so picket, long. I the white picket fence, uh, you know, the, the driveway, the garage, the barbecue out back. That's yeah,
0: the North American dream. Right? I've lived, in, dream, I lived right? in Europe so long, I forgot the word for standalone house. It's probably <laughs> Here, a better everyone dream. lives at a. Okay, so what, what, what do you think about that? Why, why do we have this in North America? And it's not just North America. Um, in one of the previous episodes, if anyone listened to it with uh, Walden Husson, he talks about how people are obsessed with that in New Zealand. Um, there, like in Vancouver, I don't know what the median house price is right now, but it's over a million, right? And in New Zealand, he said that it's like that in the entire country. And young people are still just committed to buying a buying their own house. Whereas I feel in North America, I know what you're saying. Like, people still want it. But I feel like a lot of people from our generation have just given up. Like, I'm never going to afford a home.
1: Well, but. here's the thing, though. Giving up is not the same as still wanting it. Like, like... I feel like myself and my wife, like, even if we could afford a family house, we, like, obviously it depends in the area, but we would make the conscious decision probably to live closer to the city in an apartment and have and ream the benefits of living closer to the, the city. Um... But it just, how do I put this? Like, I don't really see the pleasure. Of course, having land is nice, but like, you won't catch me moving out of the city just to have a house. Like, I I don't see the benefit in that. Like, what do you do? You go to your home and once you get to the home, your house at night, you're stuck there? Like, at least my wife and I, and of course everyone's different, but my wife and I, when we get home, um we love to go out for a walk sometimes we go for coffee uh we like to see the hustle and bustle of the city and when we talk about like moving out to the suburbs like that's there's so lifeless and that does not appeal to us at all even less my wife than me and that kind of makes sense cuz she grew up in in Europe in Paris so and there's nothing wrong with that like i'm sure my opinion will probably change as well like if or when one day that we decide to have kids however I just can't understand why young people are like are so have this dream to have a house like right now like what is the benefit of that why do you want to but do you think those
0: are young people that want to have kids already maybe they're just thinking about kids earlier than we are
1: I mean it's possible I I don't know it's it's definitely (laughs) possible but but even, you know, like, even, like I said, though, like, I would still want to live in the city at, at, right mm-hmm. now. I don't have kids yet. They're not in the equation for the foreseeable future. So I can't, you know, your your mind changes once you have kids. Yeah. But right now, like, if I could find a apartment that's in the budget in the city or close to the city, I would still probably live in the apartment than okay. go outside of the the city just to be able to have a, a house.
0: Well, for me right now, like I'm, I'm so happy here in Spain because we have that apartment culture, right? Almost everyone lives in a little apartment or, or a big apartment, but everyone is in the city and it kind of contributes to this feeling of equality in a sense, And it's just easy to get around. It's easy to get to your friends' places. And on the flip side, I think about when, or not when, if I'm a father, I would probably be like the North Americans and the New Zealanders and go for the home. Because I just think about my happiest memories as a child and my happiest memories weren't in the city, they were at home. But of course I grew up in a home with a pretty big piece of property. Now you, I think you have better insight on this because when you were younger, you lived in the city and you also lived in, well, you were my neighbor at one point, (laughs) right? Um, Yeah. So now if you think back to when you were a kid, like did you like it more in the city or did you like it more in the suburbs? Well, the suburb we were in was more like a rural suburb, right? We were like yeah. half in the forest.
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's pros and cons to to everything, right? But I have memories, of course, I have great memories obviously with you in our in our like whatever you want to call that. I don't even know if rural suburb (laughs) counts like you, like uh, we, but are those memories because of the bond that you and I share and our other friends that we share in that area? Or is that just because, or is that actually directly linked to where we, where we lived? Right. Yeah.
0: That's the thing. I I guess we need to be specific here because if I think about in the future, if I had the choice to live in an apartment or in like, some fancy suburb, but like, you know, everyone has their white picketed fence and, you know, it's like clean and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't attract me at all. But I'm talking about more like rural, the way we grew up where you walk out your door, there's a bear in front of you. uh, You bring some bear spray with you (laughs) and you go for a hike, right? That kind of lifestyle. I want that for my kids more than living in the city, I think.
1: I mean, that's, that's totally fair. For, I find it so hard to talk about where I want to live. And like, of course I would, yeah, I wouldn't mind living outside of the city or in a small town of like where we grew up of 40, 50,000 people. But to me, my brain automatically goes to, well, if you live in a small town like that, what do you do for work? If you can't work remotely, mm-hmm. um, Sorry, I can't, I don't know if you hear these dogs or not, but they're just going off right now next door. But if you can't hear them, that's
0: great. No, I, I can't hear those. So that's good. Okay,
1: all good. Um, yeah, but so in the city, I find like, there's also the people that are, you surround yourself with, and you're exposed to a wider variety of people when you live in a bigger, in a bigger city which we know very well. Um, so like all, yeah, when you, when you choose where to live, obviously you have to take all that into consideration. I mean, like, I
0: don't know. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that being exposed to a more diverse group of people because, well, I'm white. <laughs> but <laughs> when I lived in Verdun, I experienced like a type of racism when I was a little kid. Just because I was European. I was that little European fuck, right? Little foreign (laughs) fuck. (laughs) Sounds rough, but that's just what kids said, even when they were eight years old, right? And I was never allowed to hang out with the kids, but also because I had pretty strong opinions. You know, the boys always wanted to play war games. And I'd be like, oh, like we shouldn't be, uh, turning, we shouldn't be trivializing, trivializing war. It shouldn't be like this. And I would go play with the girls and start drawing and things like that. <laughs> uh, so obviously I got made fun of just for my personality as well, but it definitely stemmed from being European. Like I even got made fun of for having Nutella sandwiches, right? Those were called shit sandwiches, <laughs> <laughs> diarrhea sandwiches. Um, and then, uh, the high school came around and it was a little bit more cool to be to be different. And also I went to a pretty diverse school. But then when I came to Vancouver, I was like, Holy shit, finally, why didn't I grow up in a city? Here people um not only respect you if you're different, but it's almost an advantage. Right? Like people are really into learning about different cultures and kind of this yeah.
1: Sorry, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but Another thing I want to add as well is, like, I feel like if you grow up in a small town, you have less chance of leaving that small town and more of a chance of staying there. And to me, I will, I will basically, if my kids want to go to university after high school, the first year of university, I'll say, fuck that. You need to take time to Like, go travel. Like, I will probably insist on my kids traveling.
0: We're going to have to end the episode a bit more abruptly than usual today, because originally we were going to split this into two episodes, but we had some internet issues. But please tune in next week, because I'll be talking to Keaton Jackson again, and Dexter Doherty, who's an Oxford graduate that moved into social policy and strategic foresight. We're going to talk some more about his experience in France as well. And remember, you can access the transcript at withoutborders.fyi. And remember, I do rely on subscriptions to make this all possible, so please subscribe to withoutborders.fyi, links in the description.